Righto, ladies and gentlemen, you hear that generic podcast intro music, you know it's time for the podcast known as Dirt Bags. So this is a uh, another great recording that we're, we're doing here. So I've got my man Danny Curran in the studio at home. Danny Curran, what's going on? Oh, mate, just another day, just living the dirty, uh, you know, the lifestyle in the dirt. We're loving it. Heck. And we're out here having a good time. Heck yeah, good. And what we have on right now is our first official full-time podcast guest, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy behind Race Wheels Australia, Mickey Taylor. What's going on, brother? Hey, lads. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm very privileged and honoured to be the, uh, the, the first uh, official live guest. So, uh, mate, love what you guys are doing. Um, Cheers. Got to say that um, I'm surprised that you're scraping the bottom of the barrel this early, but hey, it's your podcast to do what you want. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Well, we're just working out some new, uh, new techniques, some new devices, so we thought why not uh, test it out on uh, you. So I'll get some official business out of the way first, and that is cheers, Mickey T. Cheers, DC. Cheers, lads. Wouldn't be a uh, Taylor Curran Curran uh, chat without a, some social lubricants. Absolutely. So for those That's of you right. listening along at uh, at home on a podcast there, we just had to uh, have a little bit of a drink. It's been a long time since myself, Danny Curran, and Mickey Taylor have all been in a room together. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to this. So Mick, he's got a lot of, of history in the sport and um, of off-road racing. And, um, but also, like I guess some of you guys out there might mainly know him as the man behind Race Wheels Australia, but one of the things we wanted to do was uh, bring him onto the podcast and just let him explain a little bit about himself. He's got a, uh, a big history in, in four-wheel driving, has, has owned some four-wheel drive shops, he's, a, he's an electrician by trade, but, but um, Mick, why don't we just hand it over to you and let you introduce yourself a little bit, tell us a bit about your, your background and, and what you've been up to. Well, broad question, but it uh, depends on how far you guys want to go back. We've but, got time. Um, being, okay, let's do this. I guess being, you know, the uh, the, the podcast that this is, um, you know, generally off-road racing is 100% our, um, our, our family background um, has been since the, uh, since the 70s. Um, our dad, Nev Taylor, was um, one of the OGs in off-road racing in Australia yep. way back in the early... Uh, early Baja days. Yep. So, um, you know, that's how far back, you know, our and my connection for off-road racing goes. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of my earliest, um, earliest memories back in, um, back in those days, um, following dad around, um, the country, um, watching him, him race, you know, in, in the real early days. Um, you know, right back to, you know, his, his first off-road race car was a, um, basically it was mum's shopping trolley with a, a Baja where, he would uh, he would pull the um, pull the engine um, out of the um, out, of, out of mum's car, put it in the race car, and uh, and go racing. And then Sunday night, come back and put the race put the motor back into the uh, the street car, and uh, so mum could drop us to school. So, you know, that's that's, that's how far awesome. Back it goes. Yeah, yeah, mm. you know, like that. That's legit how far back it goes. And mate, it's been a hell of a ride, you know, in the uh, in the dirt sports arena ever since. That's awesome, man! A mad shout out to uh, to Mama Bear Taylor there for for letting Nev pinch the motor out of the the shopping trolley to, to put it in the race car, and and that is crazy commitment to the uh, to the sport. There, you know, you get home. I know how stuffed I am when we get home from a weekend of, of just commentating. Sometimes it, it can be a big weekend with the travel and everything like that, and then 
having the deadline of having to get the the kids to school uh, in the morning. Um, man, that that's crazy. I like it, but but that's that's um that's steeped in history right there. Oh, absolutely. And I guess you know, persistence is a uh, is a word that um, you know gets brought up a lot in our our upbringing and family. And um, you know, that was just the persistence of the old boy that he wanted to go racing, and uh, that's how he made it happen. So, you know, and, and you see that a lot in, you know, in, in competitors now these days, you know, not so much pulling, you know, pulling engines out of cars and, 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 uh, and having to put them back into, um, you know, to their, uh, their, their, uh, their family car to go, you know, do what they need to do back on a Monday again. But that's just off-road racing in general. You know, the, the off-road family will do whatever they need to do to get to the racetrack um, to make it happen. And, even once you're at the racetrack, you know, the broader off-road racing family will, um, you know, will, will pitch in when somebody needs something. And that's, you know, that's what's just so great about, you know, what we do and the, uh, and the sport that we love so much. Absolutely. Hey, Mick, 50 years, because I never did the math on that, but the 70s to the 2020s now, 50 years of off-road history, that is pretty crazy. You've got to have some simply amazing stories like I've heard stories about coaster buses, you know, lots of times the adventure isn't just racing, is it? It's, it's getting to the track. It's building the cars, you know, those things. I mean, am I on the right track here? It's been a little while since I've heard the story, but it was Ryan that went backwards in a Volkswagen and finished the race in reverse, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if you look on, um, I think there's some YouTube video of that particular uh, uh, incident. It was, um, it was Kempsey um, back in the Baja days. Um, uh, Ryan, he, he came over the jump, um, and it was to, to greet the finish line. So I don't know if you know we get, we're going back, and a lot of your listeners may not um, be aware of you know the, the Kempsey layout, but there was this awesome um, gap jump that you had to jump. Um, then you landed back in the arena, and there was a, a bit of a sweeping right hander to the finish line. And uh, as Ryan's gone over the finish, uh, sorry, over the um, over that gap jump, he's landed. The brake caliper's broken, so the brake caliper mount's broken jammed the brake caliper into the back wheel and then the only way that he could uh, get forward um, movement was to uh, spin it around, back, put it in reverse and back over the finish line. How good is that? Yeah, yeah a lot of people, uh, they, they deem things like that tailor luck. We've, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, bits of dumb luck over the years. So uh, where, you know, there was an event where the old boy finished a long time ago and back in the Baja days and they were a um, little bit bit weak in the uh, in the front ends with the tie rods and he'd um, finished the event drove up onto the trailer and the thing broke a uh, broke a tie rod on the uh, on the trailer so you, you so got to take you, the good luck with like the bad luck sorry oh, mate, yeah sorry i got yeah coffee that yeah plenty of bad <laughs> we we were talking about that when we had Ryan on the podcast last time we said gee it feels like in the in the last couple of years if you guys didn't have bad luck you were having no luck but I just want to circle back around because I'm not as old as you or Dan I just thought I'd slip that one in there straight Ooh. up but but Ooh, ouch. did you say there was a gap jump at Kempsey so you actually had like you, you had to clear a gap and land on a down Heck ramp yeah. yeah you had to commit to it and you either had to roll yep. it fully or commit and clear it and we and it was a proper gap jump like you'd see it say supercross 100% yeah and it, like you could literally walk through that gap with your hands above your head and not touch wow. the race car so I mean we're talking back in the 80s so mm. you know they're, they're, we're, we're, we're talking small horsepower small wheel travel small tires 
and you literally had to probably big something else. Eighty to hundred kilometers now. That's it. Big uh, big Kahuna's commit. And man, there was there were like class five Datsuns and you know all sorts of class seven Tritons. And man, these guys were sucking it up and, um, it. and, and just getting that run up and sending it. That's unreal, isn't it? Hey, mate, that leads me to think. Oh, you just as you're talking, you're talking about some of these great races. With your history and your family history, what is the peak race for you, the one that just stand out, like just a location really, not particularly a race, but what did you think was the premier off-road event that you've been to? Oh, look, I guess... I've thrown you under the bus, haven't I? 100%, mate. You've, you've, yeah. you've, you've thrown it in there and you're making me uh, commit to an answer. Yeah. For, for us and our family, it's gun to windy. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah, out of all yep. the races we've been to, and look, taking nothing away from Fink at all, it's an amazing no. event, you know, and it's it's you know it's 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 the event in um, in Australia for off road racing as far as you know everything around the event, but pair everything back as far as drivers race track. Yep. Yep. And really, what more is it than you know the the, the, the challenge of the track? And for me, yes. it's hundred percent Gunda Windy. It's got everything that every other event and track has, I think, in the country, um, all wrapped up in one racetrack. And mm. if if you don't have your car sorted, if you don't have your driver sorted, if you don't have your prep sorted, yep. you are not going to win Gunda Windy. I like that answer, Mickey T. That said, like a good Queenslander, mate. A good Queenslander <laughs> event. I like that. But no, you're right, and and uh, Mickey, that's I, uh, you know, it's a tough one because honestly, that's going to be a different answer for anyone. Even down, hey Josh, I'm throwing it out there like one of our favourite races. We love Gundy, we love Fink, we love. But you know, we went to Bergen and couldn't stop raving about it just due yep. to the fact that it was, uh, you know, it was our local race, if you want to call it that. You know, up in Central Queensland, even though it's it's fair way north, but like you know, it's the fish burgers, it's the event, it's the hanging with the boys, like a, as a whole event. Sometimes it's not just the track, is it? Like Gunda Windy, really. I mean, you get down the Royal, you get, you know, it's just so, the stories that come out of these events are really what probably leads us more than the event. Obviously, we love driving, we love race cars, but man, there's just so many great events everywhere. You don't necessarily have to go, oh, well, you know, I've got to go to Fink or oh, I've got to go to the big ones. I mean, the local races can be just as much fun, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, there's there's plenty of great events you know around the country, and, and like you alluded to, um, DC, if if you're local to one of those events, go go to those races. You don't have to yeah. you know spend the big bucks and get the airfares you know to go to all these big events. Yeah. Go go out to some local events, and you know I know for a fact Queensland's um, state um, you know championship is is extremely strong and. Yeah. You, there's a lot of fast guys there. There's really good quality deep fields, and it's the same in other states. You know, WA is doing you know, really well with a lot of their events. South Australia's always been strong. You know, with with um, you know with, um, with with car counts. So um, yeah, there's there's plenty of good events to go out and um, you know introduce yourself to um, to off road racing and and see the equipment and just. The, the people and the competitors there, if you've never been an off-road race, just go walk through the pits. You, you can pull up to any any pit and any car and have a chat and um, and someone will be accommodating and tell you all about the sport. Yeah. 
Yep, absolutely. It is very good like that. Hey, Nikki T, I also wanted to lead on to, like, we're talking about race cars, and I love that, but you're also a mad four-wheel driver. I mean, the first time I'd ever been to the west coast of Fraser Island was with you guys. Um, tell us some of those old-school history. So I know you told me a few. You know, what, what's your favourite memory going camping? You know, it was a Range Rover, wasn't it? Yeah, well, 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 way before or before that, it was um, it was VW Bajas. That was that was how we would get to um, get to Fraser Island when we were um, you know kids as, as as a family holiday. So um, it only became a uh, a Range Rover when um, Mum and Dad had too many kids to fit across the back seat of a Baja. That bloody so, Ryan um, Taylor. You know, that bloody Ryan Taylor. Oh, oh, I know, right? So. <laughs> You know, so back then there was, you know, when there were three kids, there was, you know, and you, you imagine fitting all that crap into a VW Baja for, um, That's for, amazing. A, for, for a family of five, you know, like dad, um, the only way dad got to take beer was to actually buy cartons of beer and then start pulling each can out and stuffing them into little cracks that was left after That's everything else exploded. Yep. And, absolutely. Uh, and, That's amazing. And, and the only way you could keep them cold was to um, throw them in an orange bag into the creek to um to, to chill them down and and drink them at just under um just under ambient so you know that's that's, that's as early as the memories go and that's an amazing way to grow up isn't it Mickey? like versus nowadays you know if you don't have the arb fridge and the, the rooftop tent or the caravan or the other stuff and i'm not knocking any of that it does make it very nice but we live a uh i don't know what the word but a very oh. nice existence camping <laughs> Soft. Yeah. I, I like soft too. But you're right. No, it's no, changed. No, 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 mate, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in here in, uh, in, in our, our shack at Burham Heads with my 22 foot caravan park with the, with the family in it, mate. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Things, things evolve, mate. But um, you know, and and now I've, I long for nothing more than um, just a, you know, a, a simple swag on the beach at Fraser Island and you know, and yep. a campfire. So, so are you suggesting? You know, are you suggesting boys trip? Boys trip, hundred <laughs> percent, ready to go. Hey, I mean, I'm, I'm meeting you guys halfway now. I'm a Burham head, so you, you, you right. guys are at, uh, you guys are at Rocky. So I'll, whoa, 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 whoa! You pooed, you pooed, mate. Sorry, <laughs> close, close. <laughs> if you're ever looking for it, it's right <laughs> next to your fork. Oh. Hey, Mick, that leads us on to so obviously again we mentioned that you know a lot of people may or may not know you as your Race Wheels Australia background. You know, that's uh, what appears to be, I, I mean, it's obviously a long history that you've got in racing and in mechanical and all that sort of stuff, but it's it's a short rise. When did Race Wheels Australia start? And, and give us a little bit of the history about how it started. How did you go, you know what I need to do? I need a rim shot. Yeah, well, it was, I guess it was 2012. Um, and... We had contracted Gene Towler from um, from Get Performance to to build us a new race car, and um, that sort of then led to the introduction to um, a, a really good buddy of ours now, Harley Letner. And um, back then he was he was sponsored by Method Race Wheels, and we in 2012 we so that sort of you know that um, that logo emblazoned on the side of the Alpha. Um, I suppose in, introduced us to the to the brand. Um, mm. We went over to the USA in 2012 um, to to race to get it. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't quite finished. Um, we, we were um, we were entered into the um, to the mint 400. So I went over there two weeks earlier. Um, the car, you know, just 
wasn't ready. Just one of those things. Um, so we asked Gene if he knew of any race cars that were available that we could potentially lease because we were Dad and I rented to drive the um, the mid four hundred in twenty twelve, yes. and uh, and and Gene just said, "Oh, Harley's got a couple of spare cars." So that um, led to the journey of us going to Corona in um, in in LA to um, to meet Harley and um, and his legend of a late grandfather, um, Danny Letner. Mm. And um, we had the uh, the VIP t- tour through uh, Letner Roofing and um, and then the the Letner um, um, workshop. And in that workshop at the time was the Alpha, um, a new mm. streamlined Class One car, Tatum One, yep. Tatum Two. And man, that was just you know for a couple of uh, you know couple of Aussie guys that was that was basically as good as it got. And um, and basically Danny Letner said to us. Which one do you want, boys? So not the alpha, but the, uh, yeah, the, the alpha. alpha. <laughs> not the alpha, not at that stage. And yes. uh, you know, we, we we looked at all three cars, and at that time, um, and look, you know, it was some there was some some budgetary constraints there. Always um, is at that time. We yeah, at that time we weren't expecting to buy another race car. Yeah, true. Um, so at uh, at that that time, Tatum One looked like a great you know a, a, a great option. So yes, we. Uh, and look, I'm going down a rabbit hole and diverting from the question, but we'll get there. Mm. And mm. Um, we um, we did the deal with um, with um, with with Danny, who um, who owned the cars, and um, we we shook hands. At, at that point, we we weren't in a position to transfer him the money there and then, um, but because we were introduced to Danny through um, through Gene, well, Danny and Harley through Gene. He um, goes, you've uh, you've come to me through Gene. Well, we'll I've never done anything like this before. We'll uh, we'll shake hands and we'll do a deal. And we said that as soon as we get back to Australia, we'll uh, we'll transfer the money. So that's impressive. Oh man, you know, like I said, it just it, it just goes, you know, to the to the character of you know of the man Danny Letner and um, you know and the and the family and Harley, and um, you know they they let us drive away with their um, their race car on a trailer and. True to our word, we got back to Australia. We transferred the funds, and um, the rest is history. And we've since bought another race car. Well, that's them, that's so. just what I was about to touch that? on. When you, you first walk into that shed, did you ever think that of the four race cars that were there, you will end up owning two of them? You like two no, excellent no, racing no, cars, no yeah? No way. And the one that I really, really wanted to own um, just got sold. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. we did just see that on uh, on Instagram that that Harley has sold the the Alpha. And he didn't even phone us first. What a dog! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I no, probably could have transferred yeah. him ten Australian dollars, but that's uh, that's, yeah. that's which which is five American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like three dollars. Yeah. So um, no. so yeah, look that um, you know that that made that connection with 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 Harley, and then um, we got to talking to Harley and um, asked the question as to so he made the introduction to us with the. Um, with the the guys from Method Race Wheels, and so we got we got back to Australia, and then um, you know started talking, and they were like, "Yep, let's do something down there." And look, back then it just it started it literally started out as a few pallets of wheels at a time, um, and and just going back even further, Method Race Wheels was established in 2010, so we made the connection with them in 2012. So you know they were still a new you know a new company. Um, and 
you know, we've just been so very fortunate that, you know, we got in on the ground level with, um, mm. you know, with such a great um, wheel brand, with, with now such a great, you know, history um, and, 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 and place in, in off-road racing in the USA. You know, their, their whole background and mantra is, you know, lighter, stronger, faster. It's all about getting it right on the racetrack and then learning those lessons into the uh, into the street wheels. So, you know, there, there's no other wheel brand on the market that pretty that basically uses the manufacturing processes from their their race wheels and you know their their competition wheels with trophy trucks, and um, and then takes that that same manufacturing processes over onto the the street wheels. And I think that's interesting, Mickey, because you, like you said, I probably didn't realise that it was only 2010. So in 12 years, not only have they come a massive way, because a lot of these other like, you know, ultras and that, they've been around since the 60s, 70s, you know, if not longer. Same deal with the Walker Evans and bits and pieces. They've been around a long time as a wheel manufacturer. So Method is new to the market, but they're constantly developing, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, and look, we can, we can touch on this later, but, um, you know, they're, they're they're revolutionising, I feel, the off-road wheel market where the future of our wheels, I feel, is going um, away from bead locks to their new bead grip technology. Okay. So, yeah, so they've, they've, they've been... It's that uh, good, Mick? 100%. 100%. So, yep. um, they've, they've, and look, they have been try- testing um, this, this new technology on NASA Alatea's Dakar um, Hilux. Um, yep. There's been a couple of the, um, the the Can-Am teams at Dakar have been running the bead grip wheels, so no bead locks. Um, Luke McMillan ran the first ever 18-inch bead grip trophy truck wheel at the Parker earlier in the year on the new development um, BFG 40-inch, 18-inch tyre. So, you know, that, that's how cutting edge method race wheels are is the trophy truck guys have like, we need bigger brakes. So between method and BFG, they've worked on a solution to that where, so BFG's come out with the new 40 inch, 18 inch tire method race wheels have come out with the new 18 inch wheel, but they're like, well, let's put our new technology into it. We're not going to, we don't need a bead lock anymore. We're going to bead grip. So that takes rotating mass out of the wheel takes a lot of weight out of the wheel with you know the hardware and the lock and the and the bead lock ring and just the amount of you know less maintenance required because you don't have to keep talking up bead lock bolts anymore so that's fascinating yeah so that's where method race wheels are that's you know and this this is a little bit of instead of the race giving inspiration to the street method race wheels have had the bead grip wheels available for the last five years on a um, on their on their street wheels so they've, they've they've developed this this technology use it out in the in the off-road um, you know, recreation off-road and street market and now it's coming back into the race market hmm. and for our listeners Mickey that aren't necessarily hardcore into the tech and the racing what you're essentially talking about is that bead locks are illegal on the street you can now run this bead grip technology and you've got essentially, if not as good, you know, as a bead lock wheel, 
for your four-wheel drive registered on the road. And then the other thing is that you, you touched on brakes. I didn't realize that. But again, if you're listening along at home, uh, 17, even back in the day, it was a 15. But obviously, calipers and brakes are getting that big. It's the same with well, with streetcars. You know, you can't put on a new Y62. You've got to run an 18 because the brakes are so big on them. Now, trophy trucks are following that. And so they actually have now gone up a tire size from what would sort of be called the traditional for the last couple of years, the 17-inch. I didn't realise that, but that's a great forward step, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. Like as as race, you know, particularly trophy trucks, and they, as they keep developing and going faster and faster and faster, the you know the, the, the components have to keep up with that. So these yes. trophy trucks now that you know used to top out at say you know 115, 120 mile an hour. They're now going 130, 140, 150 mile an hour. Yeah. They've got to pull up. So they, they, I guess the teams realise that hey, there's time to be gained with going deeper in, you know, into these big stops. So they're, um, you know, we're like, and like you said, DC, we started back in the 15 inch, you know, wheel era, and yes, and you know, and look, there's, there's still a lot of um, class one pro buggies, older pro buggies here in Australia, even, um, even bean car, uh, sorry, even, um, even arm cars that are still on a, a 15 inch wheel that if they want to get more performance out of their car, they need to reevaluate their brake package, put the bigger, cause, cause, and it all comes back to suspension technology. So the cars are going so much faster now, not because of horsepower, not because of gearboxes, but because of, of, you know, essentially suspension technology. So yes. now these cars are going so much faster, they need to stop harder. Um, so it's gone from the 15-inch wheel, you know, with the, with the brake package to now like, hey, we need bigger brakes on these things. So now they go to the 17-inch. Um, and the next evolution is bigger brakes and 18-inch um, and wheels. That is fascinating. I didn't realise they'd made that step, but it's, it's a logical progression. And then the tyre manufacturer will catch up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and look, you know, BFG hats off to them. They have been the, um, you know, the, the the stalwarts of off-road racing for you know for a long time, and um, you know they um, they've, they've now come out with this this eighteen-inch tire, and a lot of people think, oh, we'll just bolt you know bigger wheels and be you know bigger diameter wheels and bigger diameter tires on on it, and you know. It's not just as simple as that. There's, you know, there, there's a lot of R and D that goes into these things with the wheels and the tires to to make them work and get those last few percents, you know, out of these things, um, you know, on on a trophy truck. And these trophy truck teams are just spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on their program, and they're looking for any advantage that that, that they can get. So, you know, if you're the first guy to roll out with, you know. They've, they've all got the same equipment. They've all got the good equipment. They've got, you know, the the, uh, the, the Gibbs motors, the, the Dugans motors. Uh, they've, they've got the, the best shock packages. They've got the, the four-wheel drive now. So now they've got to go looking for those other couple of percents. And it's like, well, if we can if we can stop harder than the competitor. Um, That's right. Down to, you know, the Americans never used to qualify. They qualify now. So mm. now, now they have to qualify like we do as good as they possibly can because the difference between qualifying in the top three or back in seven, eight, nine, ten means you're you're chewing on dust for the day. Yeah, that's absolutely. 
Yeah, that, that's a fair class. point, Mick. Uh, it is something that I wanted to ask just because you were talking about um, about those little percentages and you, and you did say like um, that it's, you know, gearboxes, suspension. Do you, do you think it's a bit of a, a vicious cycle? Like uh, all of a sudden it'll be horsepower is the number one thing and, and everyone will be chasing horsepower and then they're going so fast that they – or so much horsepower that the gearbox can't keep up. So then they get the gearbox sorted and then – you know, then the suspension can't keep up, and, and that's what we're seeing now. So the gearboxes are being sorted, the motors are being sorted, the suspension is being sorted, and now we're looking at, like you said, brake packages because that is something that America. Like, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said America don't or didn't used to qualify, and now they do qualify, and that brings a a certain level of intensity to their racing that I don't, I don't think America really had that that intense like fire furnace sort of race that prologue is like it's it's eight or ten kilometers or, or 10 mile 15 mile but it's an it's an out and out sprint race yeah oh, absolutely and they probably it probably all started i think with the mint 400 for them when it when it came came back where even back in 2012 when we raced the event there was qualifying there whereas the majority of their other races you just drew your your starting order out of a hat. So that sort of put that intensity and these guys are pushing hard. Like at the, when we were there at the qualifying for even back in 2012, there were guys end for ending over tabletop jumps. Um, you know, that were just pushing real hard because they know how important that, um, that, um, you know, that, that starting position is if you really want to have a crack at this, this event. So, you know, like we do over here, we, you know, we have a lot of dust. They have, they have dust and there, a lot of those guys aren't so, um, aren't so kind in, um, in, in pulling over. And, um, on the flip side, they're not so kind in being patient for waiting for someone to pull over. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take you for a ride over the air if you, um, you know, and, and that's, that's just racing. So, yep. you know, it's, if, Basically, if, um, if if you get punted off the racetrack over there, it was you had it coming. So it's it, it's now all about that getting that qualifying you know spot. You, you look at some of the um, you know some of those those events that the Martellis are um, you know are putting on and covering now, and where we can watch those whole events. You you see how it all unfolds and how important that that starting position is. And these guys are now strategizing so much, even with their their pit strategies, as so they can keep, they can either keep track position or try and gain, you know, some some track position yeah. um, by you know pitting later or carrying more fuel and trying to get you know a, a half a stop and a splash and dash at the end. And so you know it's mm. it's almost it's almost a, an eight hour Formula One race. Yeah, that's right. It's getting very interesting, and again, it's it's stepped up a long way because I guess with qualifying now, you've got the fast guy at the front, whereas before you said, um, you know, pulling straws out of a lot, you know, everyone was in the same boat, wasn't there? Like, you know, if Robbie Gordon or someone that you thought, or, or McMillan or whatever, even though they, it was unlikely that they'd end up in first, they'd end up in seventh and you're in ninth, well, that's a, a sort of parity situation. But if you're in ninth in qualifying and they're in first, they're out front, they're checked out. That's it. They they just got the um they were the lucky dog and, and that's just how it was. So, you know, yeah. I th- I think it's a better way to 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 have the events where 
you know, the, the fast guys are where they should be. And yes. it, the, the event's not compromised by, you know, just, just dumb luck. Yeah. And I can agree with that. Like, we're n- notoriously bad qualifiers. Hey, Josh, like, it's not our, our thing. We're sort of slow starters. A few people are. You know how it is. But that doesn't make that, like, even for us, we, we agree with the qualifying system in Australia. Like, the guys that are up the front are there because they're fast, and that's, that's acceptable. Yeah, look, I, 100%. If, you know, if, if someone puts a thing on pole or, you know, qualifies well, then they were the, the guys that, you know, pulled the harnesses down tight and took a big, deep breath and, you know, and yep. had a crack. And, and look, I, I think 99% of the times, if you, if, you, if you qualify well and you put the thing in the top three against the quality of fields that we have here in Australia, yes. you've taken risks. You know, you, you've, you've, you've taken some risks and, you know, it's it's, it's panned out for you. Um, as long as, like, my biggest bugbear is if the racetrack doesn't have the same sort of terrain and doesn't mimic, sorry, if the qualifying track doesn't mimic the racetrack and, you know, if the, if the qualifying track's basically a flat track and mm. the racetrack is, you know, rough and, you know, it... That to me probably isn't um, in the in in the spirit of it, or isn't because you're going to end up with people who qualify well on a certain flat racetrack, and yes. um, they, they can't race so good on the on the racetrack proper. Yes, you do see that a bit, don't you? In a, in a couple of events. But it's also yeah. hard because I do understand that you're limited by, you know, where you're starting in and everything is. But, yeah, I, I do know exactly what you mean because it, it is nice to see events where the people that deserve to be there on that track, like Gundy's a prime example of that. If you're good yep. at Gundy, you know, in qualifying, well, you've done the rough stuff. You've done Malapanya run. Even though heartbreaking, yep. Mick, no Malapanya this year, that's going to be a bit of a game changer, isn't it? Although, I mean, it throws back to it wasn't that long ago. What, uh, Malapanya's about 12 years old or something. So it's not like Gundy doesn't have great terrain. We're just going to move the spectator area, I imagine. Oh, that's right, like, that I guess I'm showing my age because to me, you know, like Malapanya Run hasn't been around that long. But if you say it's been around no. since, uh, and it has, like I remember being in the commentary box um, with with you guys back in when we first bought the uh, bought the Tatum into the country, and um, yep. and and Brian Brian doubled that triple. So that's right. That was back 2012, 2013. So yep, yeah. And yep. Well, it was definitely there in 09. I can tell you that. I remember yeah. it in 09. Yeah, and. So. and like I said, that, that, that's a piece of racetrack where I was just saying, you know, you, you come around that last corner before Malapanya, and I know, I know about being a driver, but I was sitting in the navigator's seat with Ryan, and I, uh, we come around that corner, and the first thing I did was, like, pull on those belts a bit harder yeah. and uh, just shut my mouth. And said to Ryan, well, there's nothing I can tell you about this bit of racetrack, and, and whatever I do tell you, you're not going to listen to me. It's amazing that bit of track, isn't it, Mick, because the car's just so light for so long, just floating down there. It's it's a wild feeling. Yeah, look, and even back in the earlier days of Malapanya, I feel where the, was was the real Malapanya run. Mm. Um, you know, it, it got a little bit of attention, a bit of a tickle up, which I I feel took a bit of the character out of um, mm. out of that piece of racetrack. Um, it made it faster, um, but I feel it made it easier for cars that didn't have their setup right. Yeah, you used to have to have a little bit of technique with it, whereas now if you've got the kahunas to do it, you really just hold it wide and, and roll down it, don't you? 
I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong, that's still a sketchy thing at 210 k's an hour. Oh, but yeah. the reality is it, it's different. You don't have to time it like you – because, again, for ladies and gentlemen listening along at home, if you've never been out the back in bear country at Gundawindi, it's almost like a single jump, a triple jump, a double jump, a gap, a flat bit, a double jump again. Like, it is actually like motocross timing in a pro buggy, isn't it, or a trophy truck or whatever you're driving. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a 100-kilometre motocross track, basically. Mm, and and these things aren't, and these things aren't all in line either. They're called melon holes, and you know you you'll, you'll jump into one, pop out of the next, and these things aren't in in line like they are in Fink. They you know they 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 they're all over the place. You'll you'll hit one on one angle and then one on the next, and um, yeah, it, it's just the best country for off road racing. It's amazing. Hey, Mick, sorry, mate. This is the Dirtbags podcast. We get off track, and I love it. There's no issue with that. But let's swing it back into the race wheels because we're just interested in a bit of the history. I know a lot of people in the four-wheel drive industry are probably that. You know, we all love the stories. We love everything. So what I was interested in, in the four-wheel drive market, when did you hit it and you said, hey, you know, you, you mentioned that you had a couple of pallets coming in in the early days. But then all of a sudden, it's obviously changed into the, the thriving company that it is now. When was that for you that you went, here we go? I'm not an electrician anymore. I'm selling wheels. Yeah, look, it's uh, over the years of race wheels, it's, it's, it's been in the hands of myself first um, and then, then Ryan and then Clayton and, then it, and that's more recently and then it got to a point where it was like, hey, I'm going to get out of the, uh, the solar electrical company and come over and give Clay a hand you know, to, um, I guess, just to see where this thing can go. So, mm. like, like I was saying, in the early days, um, we knew somebody who was bringing muscle cars um, into Australia from the US, and we would literally send pallets of wheels from Method to, um, to the, um, the logistics warehouse in, um, in Long Beach, and they would break those pallets down and they would just stuff those wheels underneath um, the muscle cars and, and bring them in and we would just pay him, you know, X amount per wheel to bring them in. Yep. And then it sort of, it went from there and it was going well. And then, you know, we were just bringing them in and people were buying them and that was great. And, and look, to be honest, it was hundred percent a side gig. Um, you know, we were bringing wheels in, we were filling a little gap in the market. Um, and, you know, back in those days also only, you know, only the hardcore or the ones that knew, knew of you know who method race wheels were and what they were mm. about and um you know as far as the, uh, the the street scene goes um and then something sort of happened in our in our solar industry that i was sort of drawn away from the um from the wheel business because i was just i was doing them both and i had to focus um pretty pretty heavily on um on our solar business um and then ryan picked up um, where I had to leave off and, and Ryan put a lot of good systems and processes in place, um, you know, for the, the business and, you know, got the, um, some of the, the, the inventory and management side of things, which, um, I'm terrible at. Um, so, you know, he did a lot of that, um, you know, put a lot of that infrastructure in and then, um, you know, like I said, our, our, our core business and, you know, what has been our bread and butter for over 40 years is we're electrical contractors. Um, and, you know, we do, air conditioning and then when the, when sort of solar became a thing we um you know we focused very heavily on that and we still that we still do that to this day um so 
and then Ryan had to same deal. He had to he he was needed back into the the solar business, and then um, we said, hey Clay, can you you know um, Clayton was looking for a bit of a change, so we we slid Clay over to um, you know to, uh, to to GM of the wheel business, and you know it just it started it was just started rolling and getting bigger and bigger. Um, then we started getting containers out of the um, out of the USA, and um, you know we thought, geez, that's it's a big risk. It's a big commitment for you know, geez, a, a container of wheels. That's a lot of money. Mm. So we we did that, and that was working well. And then you know we started doing you know more and more containers, and then um, we we probably um, you know we we probably didn't give it the the attention that it really deserved. Um, you know, it probably should have been a little bit sooner, but you know, life gets in the way, and you know, you mm-hmm. you you're doing what you're doing, and then it was probably back in, you know, early, late 2018 that it was it really started to um to, to snowball, and um that was when we made the move to get me out of the um out of the electrical company um to come over and give give Clay a hand, and that and and. At that point in time, we were like, "Well, we've got two thirds of our, you know, our resources between um, um, myself, Clayton, and Ryan in that business." Um, so basically, Clayton, uh, Ryan, and Haley were still in the um, um, in the in the solar electrical business. So I moved over there, and we're like, "Well, hey, if we're if we're devoting this this much resources, personnel resources into it, we've got to have a crack. So mm. you know, we just doubled down on um, you know on 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 stock and and really you know got stuck into it. And I think it, it's just the time. You know, you're going to be lucky sometimes, and I think the timing was right. Um, but then again, you know, like they say, the harder you work, the luckier you get. But lucky. the timing was right. You know, the the the, the, the timing was right, um, and you know, we just started kicking goals and, you know, getting more stock into the country. Um, you know, we've got an exclusivity deal with the um, with the guys in the USA. They've always supported us. They've been fantastic. Um, you know, they're, they're just a really good um, good good crew of guys in the US at, at, um, at Method. Um, so just, you know, it was with their support that um, we said, look, you know, you back us, and we'll, um, you know, we'll we'll commit 100% to you guys, and um, you know, it's just snowball from there. And you know, we get to the point where we think we've got enough wheels in the warehouse, and um, you know, we you have this sort of goal of like, right, once we get to X amount of wheels, that's enough, then we can just maintain that. You get to that, and you're like, geez, we don't have enough. Mm. So you know, we've got we got a 40 foot container coming into the country in uh, you know every three weeks and there's nearly a thousand wheels in a 40 footer over 50 percent of those wheels are you know on back order and pre-sold before that container arrives so you know that's that's the demand and I guess the um, you know the where method race wheels um, are, are held in the in the four-wheel drive industry that um, you know it's it's the wheel to have yeah, and and rightly so. We're not the cheapest wheel on the market, and we we never will be, and we never you know profess to being that. But if you want, you know, the best engineered, the best manufactured, the you know the the in I know I'm biased, the best looking wheel with the best finish. <laughs> you know, it's method race wheels, and like I say to you know customers, you know when you know you know, and if you pull up to a set of lights with 
set of method race wheels on your four-wheel drive and you look over at someone else that's got a set of methods, you just give them the nod. Yeah, well, I think the big game changer for me, because, I mean, we've been following since the start, obviously, Mickey. We've loved what you guys are doing. But I think I realised, like, we'd obviously been to the Lawton shop and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of history there. We've done photo shoots and bits with you guys. And then it came, you know, you had that stock in the corner and, you know, it was an electric wheel. And then I saw a photo on your Race Wheels official Instagram site, or it might have been a story, and I just, the pallet racking of methods is just unbelievable, mate. It is a, it's impressive. And like you said, I know the backwater system, like the fact that you guys, again, half those are, are just turning up and they're just such a great looking wheel and such a popular wheel. And that actually leads me, because the other one that I was interested in, Mick, is what is your best selling wheel and, and what's your best selling product under the Race Wheels banner at the moment? Oh, look, I've said to, said to Clayton before that if we had have made a business model out of black 305 NVs and that was the only wheel that bought, we bought into the country, we would have had a very successful business model. You know, that's that wheel dates back to 20, 2010, 2011. So it's an OG wheel, but it still outsells everything, you know, multiple times over. Um, and look, it's just, it is such a great, you know, whoever designed that wheel got it right the first time. Um, so yeah, it's definitely the, um, the map black 305. Um, you can dress them up now with, um, you know, sort of modernize that wheel a little bit with some, with, with the flat cap. So, um, you know, if, if you're OG like me, you, you like the original cap, but, um, you know, some of the methods they're uh, they're more recent wheels have a, have a flatter center cap on them. So you can um, you can even modernise that wheel a little bit with the um, with the, the, the flatter centre cap, um, and um, so and it also now comes in you know some some really cool colours with the with the matte titanium, the matte um, the matte yeah. bronze, um, the um, the limited edition was the the red that came out looked looked really cool, and um, and my favourite is the machine face um, three hundred five yeah. NV so. Hands down, if you go through our, our inventory um, analytics, um, that wheel just keeps popping up. Um, but well, well, we're fans, you, Mick. A hundred percent. Hey, Joshy. Good rib. Yeah, yeah. Good rib. I mean, we got a couple of them on our on the Y62s as well. So, And it even got the tick of approval from uh, the missus. So she let me modify her shopping trolley a little bit. So that's uh, if it's getting the tick of approval for, for mum to drive the kids around, well, it's uh, it's a win-win for all the yeah. dads out there as well. Absolutely, mate. When, um, when, when, the, when the wife's happy to put a set of method race wheels on the, on the shopping trolley, then, uh, mate, you, uh, you know you chose the right wife. <laughs> that's, that's right. Speaking of choosing the right wives, I've got a funny story for you. So you, you guys are very familiar with... Sandy, with tune out now. Eat. If you're listening, Sandy, tune out now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to like this. Um, so it, it, so we've got a same deal. We've got a Y62. It's got matte black 314s on it, two-inch lift, 35-inch Toyos. She loves the car. It's a favourite car ever. We were, uh, we were in our estate, um, and a, there's a Y62 in there that's got a uh, got an exhaust system on it. Comes past the other day, and she's like, looking at it, listening to it. She's like, that's the same car as mine. I'm like, yeah. She goes, can mine sound like that? I'm like, yeah. Yes. And I see her thinking, I'm like, well, Mother's Day's coming up. And she's like, yes, please. Boom. Oh, I love it. Mother's Day. 
You nailed it, Mickey T. That's a win right there. Oh, I know, right? So, yep. yeah. So, Brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, got a uh, got a system ordered for uh, for Mother's Day for the Y62. What system did you go, Brilliant. mate? Um, I left it up to um, my um, the, the shop that does all of my work, Innovative 4x4 at Ormo, to uh, just whatever I, I choose, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a Bow Desert. So, uh, can't, can't really go wrong there, but it's a good brand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I, I spent way, way too many, um, many hours, um, on, um, on, on Facebook on the Y62 pages with the, um, those, uh, those contributors that video and, um, their, uh, their, their exhaust pipes. And I was like, ah, oh, they all sound the same to me on, <laughs> on the, on the videos. So, yes. Yes. Hey, now, I thought I'd, uh, Mick- I'd keep it local. Absolutely, mate. That's a great thing. Hey, now that leads us on to, because the other thing that I wondered is, you know, uh, you guys are always pushing the technology. So your future development for Race Wheels Australia, where are you headed? Um, with Race Wheels Australia or, or Method Race Wheels? Let's go with both. You can give us a bit of info on both. Yeah, look, I think we, we touched on it earlier. I think the, you know, the, the future technology as far as the racing side of things is, you know, I I think beadlocks are going to become a thing of the past. So oh, that is a yeah. big call. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Look, if you see even the latest um, um, one hundred and three beadlocks, so the new trophy truck and the um, and the and the buggy beadlock wheels, the the inner lip, so not the outer lip where the beadlock is, the inner lip, they're already starting to put the um, the bead grip um, in that inner lip. So. So now their wheels are almost a double beadlock wheel. So you've got the beadlock ring on the outside, you've got the bead grip on the inside. I, I, my personal feeling is they will do some more R&D testing and my gut is telling me that um, it won't be too long before we've got a full bead grip, say 17-inch buggy um, or trophy truck wheel. Um, mm. in the, in the, maybe in the 15s um, and also the um, the 17s. And I think you'll probably have the option of both for a while. But, you know, my gut says that um, the um, the bead grip will outsell the, um, the the bead locks into the future. Um, if you don't mind, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot a little bit, Mick, do you, do you happen to know off your off the top of your head what the what the weight difference is between the bead lock rim and say just the bead grip rim? Um, if, if you were like, if I were to look up the, um, the, the specs on say a, a 17 by nine, neg, um, 12 trophy truck B lock wheel versus a street 17 by nine, yes. neg 12. Yep. Now they, there's a fair chance they may have to put some more material into the, um, you know, into the, into the TT wheel or the, the race wheel as opposed to the street wheel. But I'm going to say there would probably be, you know, up to a kilo to two kilos difference. Yeah, when and when you're talking about unsprung weight, and and for people listening yep. home, unsprung weight is anything that hangs off the suspension is probably the, the best way to describe it. That that is actually yep. a huge difference and a, and a huge advantage when we're talking to, like, here's my big word for the podcast, especially when we're also talking about uh, reciprocating mass and trying to break that and slow that mm. down and also accelerate that. As well, that that's actually like one to two kilos. 
doesn't doesn't sound that much, but it's it, it's actually very impressive. And and as you were saying before, when you've got guys like Luke McMillan, Andy McMillan, Dan McMillan, Justin Lofton, all Tavo Vistola, all in a Mason four wheel drive, if you can find that little little half a percent, that that's what can get you to the top spot in qualifying. So that's that's something super cool and, and something that I wasn't actually even aware of that that Luke had raced at mm. at um was it Parker or Mint on the on the methods that didn't have? No, it wasn't Mint. What what was it? What was the race where um, Rob Mack tipped him over? <sighs> mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just recently. Yeah, yep. it was this year. I'm pretty sure it was Parker. Parker. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually <laughs> raced with no, let's like traditional bead locks. He he raced with just the bead bead grip rims. Yeah. That, That's the whole, so cool. The whole, the whole race. He was on the bead grip wheel. So when you when you ask me about the weight, what does the bead lock ring and um, and all the hardware bolts and washers weigh? So mm. basically, that's what you're removing out of the wheel. Um, yes, there's more material because you do now need that outer lip instead of the um, the, the the lock ring. Um, but they're they're definitely going to be lighter than the um, and look, we, we've we we already have. Um, Side by side competitors racing on the bead grip wheels here in Australia. There you go. Yeah, purely because yeah, like the the the, adva- the the advantage method race wheels have in the in the UTV space. Everyone was running the um, the fifteen by five five plus zero four hundred one R wheel, which is the you know the the latest and greatest beadlock wheel from Method for for that space. Um, and that's been a, a fantastic wheel for um, for those competitors. Um, and like we were saying, the the side by side category is so competitive and so close that these guys are looking for every little bit of you know advantage that they can get. So they've they've come over to the um, you know to the method because lighter, stronger, faster. It's you know it's a really tough wheel. Um, Fifteen by five. They've taken weight out of it. You know by pulling the wheel back to back to five inches um and it's been a real and it also gives the right offsets you know that five plus zero so those guys with the long long arm kits have that positive offset wheel that brings it back in they um you know it takes a lot of bump steer um and, and feedback out of the vehicle um so now a lot of those guys are now looking for well what's next what 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 other advantage can i bolt to my car um, that is, you know, it's basically it's 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 the cheapest improvement and 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 competitive advantage you can get is to bolt the best wheel and tire onto your vehicle. Mm-hmm. So now they're they're looking at the um the, the bead grip wheels. They're um you know they're they're not debeading. They're um they're they're hanging in there. So there's there's no there's no issue there that you're going to put that um that wheel and tire package onto your car and go. You know, hey, we're going to get a flat tire because it's not a B-lock wheel. You know, like I said, they're they're, they're proven at Dakar. They're you know they're they're on Nasser Alatias, um, um, Toyota Gazoo, Hilux, and and now you know the the, the biggest um, I guess the biggest um, proof of that concept works is it did ninety nine point nine percent of the Parker four twenty five in the lead until there was that altercation between. Um, the two vehicles yep. at the uh, at the end. Yep. So, yeah, so, so 
Yeah, so until like the last five miles, that that car was leading and it would have won the Parker 425 on its yeah. debut with those wheels. Unreal. That's impressive. Now, yeah, we've talked bizarre. a fair bit of racing, Mick, but I was interested too because talking of racing, we were out at uh, St. George with Ryan racing. We talked to him about that great effort that he had there. But, Mick, you were at the Brisbane four-wheel drive show doing some work with your race wheels. What I was interested in is, well, tell us, how did it go? Was there, you know, something amazing there that you saw that really took your fancy? Oh, look, the, yeah, look, and that's that's why I wasn't at, um, at St. George, unfortunately. We had a day clash between uh, the Brisbane 4x4 show and um, and the event, so we had to... Uh, we had to split our resources, and uh, Clay mm-hmm. and Ryan went out to um, to the race, and I stayed back and um, and did the four x four show with our team. And yeah, look, it was it was a great event. Um, we've sort of obviously with COVID, we um, we haven't been to a four x four show in a couple of years, so it was it was sensational. Um, geez, new new products um, put me on the spot there. I think it's a bit of a weird one, but. Twenty three zero had this um, like doggy bed swag that I thought was pretty cool. Oh yeah, yep. Cool. Is it is that is that for yourself when you play up a bit in the caravan and and? <laughs> but in saying that, I mean you you have yeah. got a missus that lets you buy an exhaust for the Y sixty two, so uh, for a Mother's Day present. So um, you yeah. doesn't sound like you end up in the doghouse that that often, but yeah. So it's it's a dog bed for your to take camping. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a dog swag. Basically, a dog swag. Yep, it so, makes a lot of sense, actually, doesn't it? Because yeah. I mean, so many people do love taking their dogs on the adventure. Like it's a it's a part of Australian culture, and it's probably something that we just let them sleep in the car or on the tray or under the car. I mean, I, I take Danny Curran protected. with me everywhere, and he's a bit of a dingo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, but I think another really cool cool product that I saw that I think could be advantageous to what we do with, you know, events particularly like Fink was um, Garmin had a, a a GPS. So now that we can run GPSs, Garmin had a GPS that you can put in your vehicle. But if you, if you have the same GPS um, in your chase truck, you can actually send messages between the two vehicles without any, um, um, you know, without any phone service through the satellite. That's amazing. So, so, yeah, I thought that was a cool bit of gear, and you can actually track your race car from the one in your truck in your chase truck. So, if you're chasing down the side of, say, Fink's a prime example of it in Australia, but you're chasing down the side, you know if that truck stopped or if that buggy, yep. you know, you know exactly where it is, which is often that's one of the hugest battles at Fink, isn't it? Like you're running down the service road looking, I mean, not running down the service road, you're driving sensibly down the service road and, and you know, you don't know if that car's stopped somewhere out of sight. Yeah. So, yeah, you know where you guys are. You can, they can send you messages. It's basically just via text message. So they can get in and they can send the chase truck a text message or, you know, you can send them a text message and, you know, with maybe, you know, gaps to the car in front, gaps to the car behind. Um, you know, all, all these sorts of events. You know, not knowledge is power. Knowing um, you know how hard you need to push, or um, if you can, you know, pull up a bit. So you're saying that was so through then, the satellite, so you could actually, like, the chase truck doesn't have to be say within a five kilometer radius. You could be thirty k's behind, forty k's behind, and be able to track 
that that vehicle um, where they're at and send them a message. So through the GPS satellite, no phone reception. No phone reception. Mm. So you could be anywhere in the world, and you can you can track you can track between those two um, devices. And I'm not sure, Mick. If again, just throwing it out for our listeners that might come from a four wheel drive background. You know, you see it on the DVDs in America. They've been running the GPS for a long time, but that's a new advent in Australia. We haven't been allowed to use GPSs. You know, there's plus and minuses for the GPS debate, but we've now allowed GPSs. So this is something that, you know, a lot of Australian teams are getting on top of very quickly, aren't they? You know, there's not too many events now that top-level cars don't have some form of tracking or, you know, where they where they basically run roadmap-style information and hazards and that. And that appears to be, in my opinion, a good thing. The other thing is rally safe. Obviously, that's getting a bit off topic. But in the last 10 years, we've seen some really good changes because back in the day, we used to just race blind, didn't we? Yeah, look, if you if you, if you want to get into that debate, that debate, I'm more than happy to. But um, look... Not a GPS yes. guy? No. Oh, fair, no. fair. No. There's plus no. and minuses, isn't there? Well, absolutely. There's, there's pluses and minuses with you know with, with with everything. My opinion is, you know, you you just you're adding more expense for somebody to you know to compete at the the top and the pointy end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's and look, it's not just the cost and expense of the the device itself. It's you know, it's it's the ability to pre-run certain racetracks and you know be out there and you know just keep plotting those 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 um you know those, those waypoints or those, those points in so if i read um, between the lines there you're saying say an event like gundy where the track is pretty much closed 24 7 other than race weekend and you get one siding lap not an issue but say a race like starts with f rhymes with ink uh, no, like Fink, it, it's one of those ones where people could get out there because it is actually a gazetted road. For, so for those listening along at home that aren't 100% familiar with Fink, it is a gazetted road um, 363 days of the year and it's closed two days for the race course. So you, you could actually go out there in March and, and do a lot of pre-running and, and GPS it. So it, it, like, is, is that what you're talking about, Mick? You're saying, see, like Gundy, you don't see as much of a problem or Sea Lake or, or, or St. George, but, but Fink, you know... If you're if G, with GPS is in play now, there are 100 percent people that go out there and and pre-run it, and then put that into yep. their into their into their GPS, and then they're they're able to do that. Whereas back in the day, I guess I mean we did it the first year we raced. We we borrowed some footage off people and and watched the footage a lot and and tried to get knowledge and recorded it the next year and and then watched that from the year before. But um, but yeah, I I, I get what you're saying about the. Probably only in Australia, Fink might be the, the only one that, that probably comes into play with that, but but the added expense then that it adds to Fink in particular. Yeah, look, you, you've hit the, the nail on the head there, and I just think that it takes out some of the, you know, I guess it's just the old school OG in me. I, I, I feel it's not necessary within, you know, with, within, within the competition, the sport, to make it better. Like, has it made the competition better? I don't think so. Um, I, I feel there's potentially some, some safety concerns with it as well, because that could potentially um, give 
people a bit more confidence to charge hard in dust because they're just following the arrow on the um, on the GPS and it could potentially, you know, turn into a big accident where, you know, they may not have been pushing so hard, you know, in the dust if they didn't know exactly where the where the racetrack would go. Or so, also if like there is a vehicle big... stopped in the dust on the racetrack, that is that is a bit uh, yeah, of a, a bit of an that, issue as well. Yeah, but if, but do you think do you think GPS car, coupled with Rally Safe, GPS and Rally Safe coupled together because a, a Rally Safe will warn you when it's getting closer to a vehicle in front and it, it, I guess probably thinking about it, it's it's that risk sometimes in in safety and risks you introduce another risk and a hazard that you didn't think about and I think one that you talked about before is when they did smooth out Malapunya smooth out I'll say that like with inverted quotes when they smoothed out Malapunya it, it became so fast that when it went wrong it went horribly wrong so that, that to, 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 to make safe they they ended up having more of a drama but um, do you think maybe GPS coupled with rally safe is a is a good thing in in the safety department or do you still think that that just GPS alone is a bit dangerous? I just don't see why we need GPS. Um, rally safe, absolutely. I, I think that's great technology. Um, even if it's just for you know that that vehicle with the SOS and it stopped, you know we, we, we race out in some very remote areas and you know the the only sometimes the only assistant you're going to have for ten minutes, twenty minutes, half an hour is the next race car coming behind you, um, and if that race car coming behind you becomes part of your accident mm. instead of part of your assistant, mm. then um, mm. you know, I, I feel the, um, the the rally safe is 100%. You know, and look, there's every everything comes at a cost and, and rally safe, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've seen some, um, you know, some grumblings about the, about the price of it. And look, I, I 100%, you know, get that. But, you know, I think rally safe is, you know, is good for the sport as long as it's implemented in the right way and, um, you know, you, you, you know technology is only as good as the the, um, the, the people who uh, are using it. So, um, you know, I think I saw one of the last races, you know, the, uh, the, the push to pass and a lot of people were, you know, possibly misusing the push to pass and maybe pushing a little bit earlier and complaining that someone 100 metres or 150 metres in front of them didn't pull over and let them go. So, you know, it, that, 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 I think that needs to be taken, you know, with, with a grain of salt. But um, as far as the safety aspect goes, um, yeah, look, I, I, I think Rally Safe is definitely a good, um, good, good addition to our sport. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I personally think we can live without um, GPS and just, you know, yep. go back to re- re- reading the terrain and reading the track in front of you and um, comes back to your experience, you know, on certain racetracks and, and certain terrains. Mm. But hey, that's just me. No, fair opinion. I think it's a fair opinion, and it's something that's been discussed at depth around fires, no doubt. Now, mate, I know we got a bit. Um, it's like herding cats here with you lot, I think. But anyway, let's get back to the Brisbane Four Drive Show. I like that conversation, but I was interested because the other thing that I really wanted to, we didn't get to the Brisbane Four Drive Show, obviously. Um, but what we were interested in is what was the favourite vehicle that you saw out there? Was there one that was like a standout? Uh, probably, probably, in, or Josh, we're sounding like haters, but surely it's not a Sandy Torp seventy nine. It wasn't, but it, it was. It was from the Toyota stable, and um, 
you're probably going to be a bit surprised when I come out and say what it was, but there was a particular vehicle out on the um, out on the showgrounds, and um, it would had to have been I don't know 80, an eighty two eighty three single cab Hilux Ute in original yes. patina. Yes. <laughs> I, you that, I love this. I Big love it. Sorry, I just sat up in my chair and I'm starting to uh, pay a bit more attention to this. Yeah, go. Go. It, it had a tub rack on it, had a rooftop tent, it had a um, had an awning on the side, had the um, the obligatory KC highlights, um, the old school pod yes. along the front. It had a dual, must have had a dual battery with a fridge in the back. Yep. And... Man, that was just the coolest thing I saw at the four-wheel drive show. Sorry to everyone who had their mega dollar, $300,000 trucks. That was the one. Straight off the cover of uh, Peterson's four-wheel drive, mate. Remember that Um, magazine? Yeah, yeah. So good, so good. It was was cool. It was like someone just found it on a farm or in a barn find or something, dusted it off, gave it a bit of love, and then brought it to the 4x4 show. That's so cool. And it was just the coolest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, school, yeah, yeah that that is my one car regret in life a little bit is one of I went through a few Hiluxes to start off with, but but one that I had, it was a, a nineteen eighty uh the long wheel base style side and it had um a twenty two RE, a, a fuel injected two point four petrol motor out of a corona in it. And um we had thirty seven inch crawlers on it, Walker Evans bead locks, a two inch lift and we just cut what didn't fit to actually um, to get it in there, and and I I love that truck. It used to be it was the epitome of Leafs and lockers. It had zero suspension travel, but uh, but front and rear lockers and um, uh, long field CVs, so that the 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 front end would actually hold up. It wouldn't just snap them things. But I uh, Valiant Valiant Coney shocks out of right. the old red set out of shed. Yes, yes, that's right. We had an old set of Valiant ninety tens. In the in the shed, and and we we worked out that the open and close link was was the right to give us like an extra three mil of tra- travel, which was actually like a fifteen percent increase in the front of that Hilux. <laughs> but um, but that that's definitely one of my uh, how do I say it, regrets of, of letting go of that car. It was it was awesome. So I I am a big fan of those early shape Hiluxes. Like, um, actually, I, I got to ask Vic, do you guys have one as a shop ute? I feel like not that long ago on like maybe 12 months ago on Race Wheels Instagram that I did see a single a single cab style side early Hilux. Did you guys have one? Yeah, we did. It was a bit of a um, looked better on the um, the Facebook Marketplace uh, ad than it actually was. That will uh, happen. I know that deal. Yes. That got but, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I still – look, I, I still saw it in the flesh and I still bought it. Yes. And then I've got it back and we're like, yeah, it's probably a bit more work than I'm really willing to put into this project. So uh, sold it off to somebody else. But yeah, we're we're definitely still on the on the hunt for you know an, an OG round headlight early Hilux. Yep. As a shop truck. Yeah, coffee, yep. coffee. Very cool. Well, at DC has so, DC. Tell us that story about the the, uh, the original white Hilux. That old girl. You got you got stung a bit yeah. on that one. Listen, I was young, Mickey. I'm going to prefix it with I was young. And I drove all the way to Brisbane, and it looked really good in the middle of the night. And I drove it home, and out of the eight body mounts, 
maybe two had steel. I'm not real sure. About yeah, it. it wasn't real. I think I think it had done a bit of time on Fraser. So the first giveaway that it was not good is it, now I don't know how they had a roadworthy for it, but we picked it up with a with a roadworthy. So, but the first giveaway that things were not good is as we were driving at home. Um, if you went around, was it a left hand corner too fast? The glove box would pop open because the whole cab was flexing so much. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it was a good unit. It climbed some hills, Josh. Well, it had the long fields in it, Dan. Remember, we thought we busted a front CV and, and we pulled it apart. And so we're, we're pretty sure that um, that you got duped by a little old lady because it was like an 80-year-old grandma that sold it to us. And they, she gave us the story of, oh, you know, like my late husband uses it just for like backing the boat down the boat ramp and he's got four-wheel drive so he, he can pull it out. But it, it had a set like nah. – It had a set of long field CVs and axles, like 30-spline CVs and axles in the front of it. So I, I think yeah, – there was I, a- a few two and two didn't equal four things on that car. But I think anyway. I think we got played with the old switcheroo. Yeah. <laughs> but you would 100% buy that car back today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We well, fixed it. Well, I'm not going to lie, Mick. Really I fixed it. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's for another podcast. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. When you, when you were talking about how the shop you wasn't quite what you uh, what you thought it was, if you were getting to the end and you were going to say, oh, so it's just parked in the corner waiting to do something with it, I was probably going to ring you after we finish yeah. this podcast and throw an offer at you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, it, that's gold. It, it had what looked to me like it was an old Class 5 aluminium fuel tank that had been taken out of that and then it was tech screwed into the tray because the fuel tank that was underneath had rusted out. Yes, yes. Oh, yep, yep. That'll so, get you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, look. There's, there's another one out there with our name on it, so we'll just uh, we'll keep hunting. But, um, yeah, like a- anything old and cool like that, it's just they're going up in value. Yeah. Is that a shout-out? You're, you're, is that why you put your name on Mickey T? So if anyone's got one, get him slide into those DMs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually just, yeah, working well, if there's a, I'm, I'm just working out if there's a way I can get rid of Mickey's and just put mine up so that people just send it to me because – yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sandy, if, you, if you're listening, Sandy, if you're listening, I'm joking. But between us listeners, I'm not joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick, now I, I leading we, on. I think we just increased the value of them in, in uh, just by talking about Or them. decreased at one of the oh. two because we said we liked them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's in, that's actually an interesting point. Mick, how crazy is car prices at the moment? They have exploded. Full of drives, the market is red hot, and it's everything. I saw a GU Ute the other day. It was a dual cab, Josh's favourite, chopped out, and uh, they wanted sixty-five thousand dollars for a GU. That's I, I good luck, but wowzers, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, it's it, it's the whole four-wheel drive industry in um, you know in a, in a nutshell, basically. Where you know, and that's that's part of where I think you know. We're selling so many method race wheels, and the whole industry is doing well. Is you think about 10, 15 years ago, our 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 demographic were buying Falcons and Commodores and lowering them and putting the wheels and tires on them. Mm. That same demographic is now buying a Hilux and Ranger and raising them and putting wheels and tires on them. So you know it, it's well, supply. Sorry, just because I'm interested you say that, because I've always got a theory. Again, man, we're getting off topic, but I like it. 
I've got a theory that that's to do with when they started changing all those peat beta laws that you couldn't have turbo silvias, you couldn't have skylines. You know, there's all these rules. That's just flooded that four-wheel drive market because, hey, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. I'm not trying to – but, you know, anyone that loves modifying cars, we still love modifying cars. No, I mean, we're, we're 40 years old and still love modifying cars. That's not changing. So the only way that we could get our fix was to get into the four-wheel drive market because, like you said, back in the day, it's interesting, we were into Valiance. We were always a bit anomaly because we were into everything. But, you know, you had your car guy, you had your streetcar guy, had his Turbo Falcon or whatever it was, you know, the, the V8 Commodore or whatever it was. And now all of that group, like pretty much if you're an apprentice, you've got a four-wheel drive. Maybe that's a central Queensland thing, but I go down to sunny coast, Brisbane, you know, what's on YouTube and that. That's across the board now that if you're going to do a – because you want to be able to modify it. And a lot of these, if you're stuck on a Daihatsu charade or something, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, body kits and that, but that loses its excitement very quickly, doesn't it? So now we're going down the path of GU wagons, 80 series, you know, and that's just driving those prices, isn't it, that everyone wants this market? Yeah, absolutely. And and have a think about it. There's no cool two-wheel drive cars anymore. They're, mm. they're, 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 they're all exactly the same. They're all, you know, a, 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 a Jap-imported SUV. There, there's no character. There's no, you know, there's, there's nothing anymore. There's no re- that real Ford Holland, um, you know, yep. allegiance anymore from a Commodore to yeah, a Falcon. Yeah, that's right. And hmm. All of the cool ones are now 30, 40 50 years old and they're worth a shit ton of money. So I was blown away. Where have all these car guys gone? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was blown away. Josh, I don't know if you know this, but I saw a Nissan Silvia, an S13 for sale the other day. And it was like 40,000 for basically a stock Silvia. Again, it blew me away because we were buying those back in the day for six, seven, eight grand. Like if you you knew you would have been stockpiling them and putting them out the back. Stockpiling them. It's oh, unbelievable. So even I was just saying, just that it's, the, hmm. the amount of combis that have gone through my hands that I should have hung on to <laughs> yes. that I bought for a thousand dollars, and then pulled them apart and wrecked them and sold the motors and the gearboxes and 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 other parts out of them, I should have just parked them all up in a shed. Madness, isn't it? Where you, if you had a known exactly, a crystal ball. Oh, if you were, if you had a known, you would have been stockpiling uh, V eight diesel two hundred series. About two, yeah. three years ago, that's what <laughs> that's what you would have been stockpiling because they uh, they that's went the market. That, that's the market right there. But I, I think that the initial drive in that that four wheel drive scene as well is, is I think like DC touched on a little bit was the when P plates were no longer allowed to. Well, sorry, even for us when when P platers were allowed to have Sylvias and Skylines and and Commodores, you know, high powered Commodores, we could. Um, I, I used to daily my Hilux on, on 37s. I was an apprentice. I used to drive it across to work and we'd get pulled over by the cops and they, they wouldn't even care. Whereas if you had a, a anything that had a chrome rim on it or like a blow-off valve and they were on you like white on rice. So I think that also kick-started the, the four-wheel drive scene a little bit. It was a bit... It, there was a bit of anonymity. Is that the right word? From the from the police for a little while there. You could you could get away with modifying your cars and... Um, and, and and still be able to drive it pretty regularly. But I do think that has changed a fair bit as well in the last couple of years as well. Definitely. Yeah, look, there's probably, a, you know, a few contributing factors and you're 100% right about, you know, the, the P-platers and the vehicles that they, they could drive. And then I think, you know, they've just come over and now they're like, this is what, you know, we've been missing out on 
this that you know that that freedom and you know the, the places that you can go and the things that you can do. Yeah, that's the uh, big one. You know, that that, that four drive lifestyle. Mm. And even down to Josh, we talked about a little bit, like you know, we always talk about the the Instagram and that. How much that spread the game too now because there's this massive world of photos that you see. You know, whether it be Northern Territory waterholes or down in the Victorian high country, and now you've got this instantaneous access to it. And you're like, man, I need to get a Hilux or a whatever it is, a Ford Ranger with your cap backwards. I do like Ford Rangers just quietly. Got to tow a jet um, ski too. Know, and jet ski, definitely. <laughs> you, but you've got have to you got, down the, and, have you got the Ranger starter pack? Yeah. Yeah, I've got all of it. Monster hat. There's probably one up here, is there? Monster hat. <laughs> But at least but the, exactly it, well, like, that monster hat up there will probably have terrible herps on it as well. So a little bit of a humble brag. It does, <laughs> yeah. It does yeah. yeah. No, but it's it's just interesting because I think that's another thing that's, that's really changed the game of off-road. And look, oi, almost like a brilliant segue. Mick, that brings me into another question that I did want to ask you is I wanted to know, you've been around a long time now in a range of like, because you've done the racing, you've done the four-wheel drives, you've done the camp, you're involved across a wide aspect. What I'm actually interested in is what do you see, what's the big, the next big game changer for off-road as a whole, four-wheel drive, racing, whatever that is? You know, does it come in technology? Does it come in uh, physical developments? Like, you know, on some of these new modern cars, we're now seeing active suspension. Like, is it the new Ford Ranger that, you know, you click a dial and the Fox shocks all change their valving and that sort of thing, or, you know, their bypass setup? So, you know, we've had a bit of a, I don't want to say stagnant because, again, it's always been going forward, but, you know, like King Kong or, the you know, the big shocks from Kings have been around for a while now. You know, we've sort of had some development. You know, they've been A-arm cars for what, since the early 2000s now. What's the next big step forward in your mind? Look, in, in off-road racing, I, I don't think, geez, there, there can't be any more big steps. You know, like they've gone... The, to, to the four-wheel drive trucks, but they're not really running away with it, even over in the USA. Um, mm. You know, there was there was the um, was it the 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 Baja four hundred that was just recently on uh, San Felipe two fifty. On no, it was the same. It, it was a four. It was a four hundred where they just had the qualifying, and it was a really silty. Mm. Um, tilty qualifying and a lot, yep. lot of trucks stuck, and um, yep. you know that that was definitely an advantage to um, to, to four wheel drive. And I think the top five qualifying trucks were all Mason four wheel drives, so mm. that was a little bit of I feel an anomaly uh, because that that qualifying track hundred percent suited the four wheel drive trucks, but they're just the four-wheel drive trucks don't seem to be running away with it. I think it's a little bit skewed because now you've got so many of the fast top teams with four-wheel drives that they probably would have been at the pointy end anyway in a two-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, you know, you've just got to look at Harley in the um, in the two-wheel drive um, concrete truck, and he's always there and he's always mm. qualifying. You know, up with them. So, look, I, jo- I Jogerson's another one, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I don't think, and if we're talking Australian off-road racing, um, I, I think the four-wheel drive is probably more, there'd be more an advantage to a lot of our tracks if you had, say, a four-wheel drive buggy, something like the um, the um, 
the Reese Millen um, Jackal buggy. Um, so I, I, I feel something like that would be, if you look at the Australian um, AORC or even the um, the, the ASA, um, the AORA calendar, if you look at it as a whole, I, I think, you know, uh, a four-wheel drive buggy would probably do mm-hmm. very well. I, I don't think you're going to have the advantage a big advantage at Fink with the four-wheel drive buggy, yep. just with the, um, you know, the, the average speed and the momentum of that racetrack. But I think you would possibly have an advantage at Fink qualifying, which then gives you an advantage okay. at the race. So, you know, I, I don't know so much about four-wheel drive, you know, full-size four-wheel drive trophy trucks here, just with our, our current motor um, restrictions. Um, I just don't think they can give them enough power to give them that the advantage that they have, yeah. um, you know, don't get me wrong. Something like Hayden Bentley's, um, you know, four drive TT, you know, can can be there at the right event, um, you know, every time. But I don't think he can maximise the um, the full advantage of the four wheel drive with our current uh, motor regulations. So in Australia, I would probably say, you know, if someone were to come out with a a Good quality um, four-wheel drive buggy. I, I think that's probably you know where it's going to go. Um, mm. But us buggy guys, um, you know, we we don't like doing four CVs, let alone eight. Yes, true, true. <laughs> Never Imagine a true word that. spoken. So you know, I, I think that's got a lot to do against us going um, four-wheel drive in buggies because it's just <laughs> twice the amount of CVs. Oh, yep. No, I like that. So, yeah, look, I think that's probably, you know, where it's at. Like, I would love to see one of those four-wheel drive jackals um, here in Australia, something like that, because yeah. they're now putting, you know, LSs in them. And, uh, yeah, those things are fast. They're nimble. Um, they're proven. You know, he's he's run the um, run the Baja 500 with it, um, you know, with, with no, um, you know, no, uh, no, no mechanical issues. Yeah. Mm. Um, so and, the thing about um, that, the thing about that jackal is it, it's quite a a lightweight build, isn't it? They used a, a relatively small four cylinder turbocharged motor in it. Is, is that correct? And then it, the idea behind it was that it was almost that method race wheels motto that it was it was lighter, and they they wanted to try and push yeah. the envelope that way and go in a bit of a different direction with with everyone else's trucks and buggies getting bigger and more motor and bigger tires and and everything like that. They decided to to sort of change directions and, and go in a different path. Yeah. Yeah, when, it, when he first developed that car, it was actually, you know, I, he used a fair bit of um, UTV side-by-side componentry on the uh, the first evolution of it. So it was actually running um, the Method UTV wheels and the um, and the, and the Tensor UTV tyres. Um, and then it, it, it had like a, I don't know, two, maybe a two-litre turbo four-cylinder alloy block mm. thing in it um so that was the first event that it uh, it raced a few years ago which i think was the mint 400 um and you know it it started off the line because they had it in class one and it started off the line next to you know a full-blown ls um powered class one car and just left it for dead so you know just out of that 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 infield it was you know it was off the line it was it was through the, the technical part of it and it was gone um, you know the the class one probably um, you know chased it down and um, and 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 gobbled it up through the um, you know through the big stuff, 
but um, we don't have a lot of that, you know, those, you know, those big G outs and big, um, you know, big holes and big warps that they have in the US here in Australia. So, you know, I, I think someone with, you know, bit of bit of talent and, you know, potentially that could be where a lot of the current side by side guys go who know how to drive a four wheel drive, um, mm. potentially look be looking, you know, to, to get into something like that, which suits now suits their driving style. They don't have to change their driving style to get out of the side by side. In, into a buggy, they can um, you know take everything they've learned from the uh, the cyber side class and then get into one of these mm. um, one of these buggies. There you go. I like that answer, Mick, and I definitely agree with you. Like the four wheel drive buggy, you've got the weight advantage, but you've also got the traction. And again, you did touch on it, and it's interesting from an, a, a point of view of someone that's raced over in America. Um, you know, we think about Think and Gunda Wendy as the big stuff. Gundy's pretty big, I will admit that. But um, Think is really like large chop in America, isn't it? Like it's those hard, sharp, rocky edges of the Mint and of Baja. Like it's it's a different world compared to what we are racing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the, the, the thing for us is – you know, once you get into those big whoops, um, you know, that's that's as bad as big as it gets in Australia with the depth and also, you know, the, the distance between them. And, you know, don't get me wrong, you you, you, need, you need a dialed-in car to be able oh, yeah. to, to get on top of those whoops and then, you know, and, and run that racetrack. Um, and, you know, the, the speeds that the pointy end is doing over that, um, like mm-hmm. you just look at the the average speed of the Fink Desert Race and then have a look at the average speed of, you know, the Mint, um, where, like, the Mint's sort of getting a little bit faster because of some of the the, the big wide open stuff. Um, but, you know, traditionally, you know, it wasn't that long ago that 55 mile an hour was about the, um, you know, the average speed of the winner of a, um, you know, a big race in the USA, purely just because of how, how, how big the stuff is. Where so what's that about ninety k's an hour? Yep, ninety k's an hour. Um, I think if you want to win, think you're. I think a couple of years ago I worked out the average speed to win Fink was um, one hundred and forty-seven kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, it makes sense. Two hundred and forty odd kilometers on the track, and then you know they're doing it now. And what an hour forty-three is the fastest time ever, Josh. You're a bit more of a stat man than me, but. It's either one forty three or one forty six. That's insane. I think it's closer to one forty six. Yep, six. Yep, is my gut. But yeah, it's just those average speeds. So you know, you look at it and go, "Are our cars and drivers just better that we're going faster?" No, it's the racetracks are so much rougher over yes. there. That they're you know the average speed. So like those guys are still doing one hundred and forty miles an hour. Mm. Um, you know, and that's miles an hour, not kilometers an hour you know, across lake beds, but they're still doing, you know, 70, 80, 100 mile an hour over four foot whoops. You know, yeah. you just need to have a look at some of those testing videos at at um, Barstow and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going through big holes and they're doing, you know, 100 mile an hour and those things are fast. So just to so, jump in... Sorry. You- do you think that with the... Oh, I was just going to jump in and say with the average speeds different there, do you reckon that, um, and we did sort of talk about it a little bit before, but do you think that that's because, say, Fink is a is an out-and-out sprint race? Like, you know, you talk to people and they go, if you've got to change a tyre, you're not winning. 
you, you're, yep. you, you know, whereas America definitely does have a little bit of a different mindset. They might race at, you know, 90% or, or you know, they might start off at 85 and, and, like you said, jostle for position a bit through the pits and everything like that. And then if they're in the hunt in that last, say, 40, 50 mile, they'll wind the wick up and, and go for it and go and go for the win. Whereas, like, some footage that comes to my mind that is, is an absolute classic is is old Trav Robinson launching that that Jimco off the start line so hard on, you know, race day one. He wound that thing up on the boost on the converter so hard that it, it spat old mate out that was trying to hold the board behind the tyres to um mm. to, to to stop rock spray and it, it actually knocked him over. It's a classic bit of footage if you're on the OBR yep. um, YouTube channel. But that's the intensity of, of what they race think at in this day and age. Like from the from the moment the green light drops, it's it's a hundred percent, and if you're at anything less than a hundred percent, like you, you're not going to win it. Now there'll also be, you know, twenty percent trim, mate. There'll be <laughs> coffee. There'll be nineteen guys out of the top twenty that are going to break, but there's going to be one person that does it. Like, is there an intent? I, I guess I'm asking you as well, because someone that has raced in America, just from a a visual outside, to me, it kind of feels like there is that slight intensity difference from the start line like like you said they they jostle for position and then go for it in the last 50 60 mile whereas australia it's it's flat out 100 percent from the the very first get-go yeah look, i think it comes down to the the lengths of our race and you hit yes. the nail on the head with Binky's 100 percent a sprint race there and you can rebuild your race car and have a fresh race car and 100 percent you know, full-on sprint all the way back. And you've got you, you've, you've got 20 guys that are going to do that. And the one that has the best luck, the, you know, like mm. you, 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 could, you could qualify back in the field, like uh, back in 2019, Jack Rhodes had that rollover, got seated in 15th or 16th, um, had some luck with, um, cars dropping out in front of him on the way down and turned around and came home in P1. Mm. Hayden so, Bentley was another one. Yep, yep. Mm. So, you know, if all those planets sort of align and, you know, you, you get that, that clean air, then, you know, you, you can you can do well at that event. So, you know, there's, you know, take, I, I feel take Toby Price out of the equation at the moment because... Mm. You know, I think I personally think right now he's unbeatable. I think mm. I I think Toby is the perfect storm of talent, <laughs> track knowledge, vehicle yep. vehicle preparation. Yep. I don't think anyone can touch him. So, so you take him out of the equation, then there's 19 other guys, and, and if and if Toby has a um, you know, a, a trouble-free run, um, then take him out of the equation, then those top, those rest 19 are racing for second outright. But it is 100% a sprint all the way there. Whatever you got, you're going to throw all your cards on the table and 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 run that run down to Fink and then turn around and do the exact same thing on the way back. Yeah. Whereas you know the the US the, in the in the US they're you know they're races along. If you look at something like you know even the mid four hundred now, I feel is a sprint race for the guys for, yep. for those guys. Um, but you you get down into Baja and you know and the thousand, 
I think they, you know, they'd have to be keeping a little bit more up their sleeve than you know something like the San Felipe two hundred and fifty or you know um, even Vegas Torino. I think is probably just you know balls to the wall and and um, and end up where you end up. Well, I suppose Mickey T, even down to it's no longer two or three guys. You know, you think about the nineties and even the two thousands. You know, there was two or three guys with the technology. Let's even spread it. There might have been 10 guys with the position. Now you look at the depth of field, and this is true of yep. Fink. This is true of America. This is true of, you know, almost everywhere. The depth of the field now, like you look through, and uh, we were talking about it. When you start, again, like you said, I understand what you're saying. Oh, you know, there's this one guy like Toby is a, a standout. But then, you know, there's also all these things in off-road racing, and then there is just a flood of people that have the potential to win this thing outright. It's not like two or three guys have got good A-arm buggies. No. You know, there's 50 amazing cars. There's 50 amazing drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. And my, I guess my comment about Toby was Fink specific. Oh, 100%. Mm. He, if, Toby oh, at Fink is lightning in a bottle. Like, I, I don't think we'll I, I, I would, I, see it again for a while. Yeah, look, I, I would love to see Toby come out and do, you know, some other events like um, mm. Gundy or, you know, some of the, you know, Kalgoorlie or, you know, whatever. He's mm. he's still going to be a talent. He's still going to, you know, have a great truck. Oh, he's still going to be... One thing he won't have is he's not going to have the the track knowledge. So I think that will equal that, mm. that will equalise him a bit to the rest of the field. Um and you know, not taking anything away from at all. Like the the, the bloke is an absolute legend no. on a, on you know, two wheels and four wheels. But like I said, I think that at Fink he's that perfect storm with the amount of um, uh, miles he's done pre running on his dirt bike over the years. That he just knows which one of those blind crests he can hold it flat, and which one he needs to lift off. Where everybody else mm. they're like. Oh shit! Is this the one that I'm going to have the big accident? So we'll lift off, and like, mm. oh no, that wasn't the one. Then they they plop down, and then you've got to try and gain that momentum, uh, you know, a, again on the um, on that sand. But um, but you're right, DC. You know, you go to the rest of those events, and the depth and the race cars. Like you just go through and look at all the cars and go, well, you regardless of what who the driver is, that car can win, that car can win, that car can win, that car can win, and then it just mm. comes down. Mm. Um, you know the, the 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 talent behind the behind the wheel. Absolutely, and we've got you guys stepping in constantly too. You know, we went to St George, didn't we, Josh? And the the new names, or you know, names that had stepped up from other classes, that into pro buggies, into trophy trucks. You know, we've got all these. You know, the Love Day boys there, the Swinglehurst guys are there. You know, like uh, the the North Queensland crew with Mick Marson and Talbot Cox. Like, there's so many great races now that have got talent. They've got ability. They've got the vehicle. They've got everything, and it's, it's going to be. I mean, I love it. Every time that I get into off-road racing, it's just the more I think, the more I enjoy it. The more I get in, you know, the the options are limitless with this. So, oh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great season this season. And I think we're, you know, we had it. We actually talked about it the other day, didn't we, Josh? Where we said initially there was this, you know, ARB versus AORC thing, but now we're sort of getting to this beautiful position where everyone's choosing their races. We get to go to a lot of things. We get to do a lot of different things, different tracks. You really choose what suits you. 
yeah, look, it comes down to, you know, the customer's winning. And at the moment, mm. the customer is the competitor. Mm. And there are so many really, you know, well-run good events, um, you know, both at that national level with the, um, you know, um, the, the ARB series versus the, the AORC. So, you know, you can pick and choose which event that you want to go to that suits your time frame, suits your budget, suits your calendar. Um, and then there's other great events, you know, like the Don River Dash that aren't mm. part of a, you know, one of those national championships. But I think, uh, you know, it, it's a marquee event and they've put it oh, on... Brilliant at the right time of year for Southerners to be able to come up and, um, you know, and experience, you know, they, they can they can have best of both worlds. They can mix it in with a holiday in, you know, central North Queensland, go out to the, um, you know, the, the Whit Sundays and have, go, you know, race in an iconic location mm. and, uh, and, and a great event. Yeah, and I think one of the big things that really helps with the Don River is it's got that, like like what Gundy gets, like what those, those races that seem to thrive is, it's, it's got the... The local support and the and the local council support as well. Like I think in one of the first years that the Whit Sunday Shire Council was actually the the major sponsor of the Don River Dash. So, but I was having a chat to to Mick the other day, Mick Marson, one of the the organisers. And he was saying that I may not get the figures exactly right, but this is a little plug to tell people to be ready. I think they were they were deciding this year that they're going to cap the bikes at maybe three hundred bikes and one hundred and twenty cars. So that's like only a couple of years old and it's getting close to like think level numbers. Like that'll, that'll make it the, the second biggest off-road race in Australia at this point in time. Oh, it's great. When, when that first, when that event first came out, um, you know, when, you know, it, it had similar, you know, sort of um, aspects to think and the way that, you know, the, it, you, you saw that it was being run and, and, um, and, you know, the, the location and the time of year. It's like, geez, this event's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to gonna continue to grow and it would be awesome, particularly like the cars. The cars are like top-level field as well, but it would be unreal to see guys like David Walsh there, you know, Triggy there, like, uh, you know, um, Toby on his bike again. It would be it'd be awesome to see it, it grow continually as bikes because I, I think there's that real – there's that real cross – sectional area between cars and bikes like that that's one of the highlights i love about going to think is and don river is once the cars are finished racing it's like right oh we, we you know and we've had the main meal and now the bikes are coming out there's a little bit of dessert happening you know whereas i guess the bike boys are probably saying we've had the entree now the main course comes out so there, you know there's a bit of something for for everyone and and, and i think we share that same passion of, of racing cars or two wheels uh, they got they got way bigger kahunas than us. But, you know, hey, and one of the cool things, Dean Ferris was there. And I see that Dean Ferris has um, – uh, Dean Ferris was at the Don. And um, he's actually – he retired after a bad injury from from racing motocross in Australia. But after sort of taking a bit of time off and, and riding the Don and, and doing a few events like that, he's actually back on a factory Honda. So he's back racing factory Hondas for, um, for Australian – in the in the MX series here in Australia, sorry, not for Australia, in Australia, but uh, I believe that he has expressed his interest that he is still keen to, um, still keen to ride the Don River Dash. So we might even see a bit of that uh, KTM Honda rivalry start to fire up again a bit if if Dean rocks up on a on a Honda. So that's something pretty cool as well for the guys there. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and you, you said that you know there's that I guess that similarity between the um, you know the two wheel guys and the four wheel guys. You know, there, there's that saying getting around with age comes a cage. So you know, there, there's so many of those guys that at some point in time they're they're going to end up you know in in, in off road racing. So if they can get a feel of what our sport is all about by doing races like the Fig Desert Race and then you know coming over into mm. Don. Then you know that that can only be good, you know, for um for, for the four wheel side of off road racing as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely brilliant. Hey, now what do you reckon, boys? Mickey, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. We've enjoyed the conversation because well, I was just looking at the list. There's so much that we've covered, and there's so much off road racing. Oh, I don't know, Joshy. What do you reckon? We'll have to have Mickey back at some point and have oh, another chat to him. Well, I think so. We haven't even really started to delve much into the history of uh, of Team Taylor. So I think it, it's something that we we definitely should get back. So I suppose as we're starting to to wrap up, Mick, uh, a quick little shout out is is there anyone in particular that you would uh, you know sponsors of Team Taylor or, or Race Wheels Australia or or just the, the wife and the, the kids at home, you know, if there's anyone you'd like to say a, a thanks to for the uh, for the support in the last couple of years? Oh, look, it takes, you know, it, it takes a lot to do what we, you know, what, what we get to do with, you know, not just business, but also, you know, going away racing and, and, and all, you know, everything, you know, as a whole. Like, you know, our, our family, the Taylor family, we... You know, we live and breathe off-road racing. Um, we have done it. It's all we know. It's, I guess, it's the glue that keeps you know us together in a in a certain way. Um, you know, and now we've got third generations coming through. So um, you know, it, the the only way that that can happen in our situation is you know through our businesses, through our family support, where you know we have the support to you know and the the understanding that yes. You know, go go spend the hours in the shed, or go away racing, or you know, do the big hours at work. You know, because you know these things just don't happen. So you know, mm. there's there's obviously there's the, the the business support with um you know through through Race Wheels Australia, um, the other company Uni Industries, which you know is still um you know still a big um, big factor in what we do with um with um the you know the the solar power systems that we install. There's Toyo Tires are a, a a fantastic support to us. They're also part of you know what we do with with off with um, uh, with with Race Wheels Australia. Um, Tensor Tire, um, which is owned by, um, by by Method Race Wheels. So w- without those companies, um, we can't do what we do. And then it just comes down to. The rest of the families, the you know the wives, the kids, mum, we um, you know we it, it takes all, all of that um, to, um, to to make it all happen. So just a massive shout out to all those people that um, I guess have the patience and the uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, to uh, to put up with, uh, with 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 what we do and and uh, you know and we're, uh, we're 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 writing those checks for. Um, for a um, an indulgence, yes, that could be going elsewhere, and families could be doing other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, absolutely. But I think one of the great things about Team Taylor 
Mickey, and it's always been from the day dot, is that you guys roll deep. You know, when you turn up, it's always all the grandkids, all the kids, you know. There's, there, it's a real family environment, and that's something that's so great about off-road racing, you know, um, and it's becoming more and more prevalent is that, you know, uh, me, myself, and I know with Josh and that, you know, when we go to off-road races, we bring the families and they love it just as much. And that's probably a great thing. Again, it's it's an army that goes with Team Taylor and supports and, you know, does wheel changes and bits and bits. It, it's fantastic to see, mate. Yeah, well, look, there's, there's probably not too many things that you can do, well, not that we can do as mm. or, or want to do, uh, you know, uh, with, with everybody there, you know, at, at the same time, you know, like off-road races were, it pretty much came to them. They were family holidays. Mm. So every, everybody took time off work to go to, to be there. Um, other people, there were other things that, you know, people could be going and doing, but they chose to, to spend all that time together, you know, going to those, those events and, and races. So mm. there's any, any families that are out there that are thinking about yeah, what what sport do we want to get our kid into, or what do you know? What do we want to go and do as a family? There's nothing better than off-road racing where there's the son or the daughter can sit with you know the, the dad or the mum or the, the husband and wife can ride in the car together. And now we've got that junior class from ten to fourteen. You can you can go there with two two vehicles, and you're not. Yes, it's expensive, but. It's, it's only as expensive as you need to make it. Like the the, yeah. the kid class, what are you spending? Fifteen k. Um, and look, yes, fifteen grand's a lot of money. But mm. once you're done with that car, you'll still get fifteen grand back for it. But the the experiences and the memories that you'll create it's worth way much more money than um you know what you spend on the race car. Yeah, totally agree. Brilliant. Yeah, and I guess it's one of those things we talk about it. It's sometimes how I've described my family. As I say that, uh, you know, some families play football together. Some families play, you know, play cricket. We're just a family that we, we go we go off-road racing, and, and that's what we do for in, in our spare time. Everything sort of is geared geared towards being able to, to do that, to supply the money to do it, to have the the support to do it, to have the, the time and, and effort to be able to do it as well on the side as well. So... I think you are right, particularly now with this. Is it called junior champions with the or the junior development class of of the ten to fourteen? It's it's a super addition to our sport. I I think it's going to be great for the sport. It's going to be able to exponentially grow it because no longer are the kids just coming along to watch; they can actually get involved. Yeah, that's right. The, the class is called future champions. Um, it's only accessible at the moment through um, Aora and AASA. Um, so hopefully MA will, um, will come on board and, um, you know, embrace and support that. Um, there were, you know, there were certain parties within the, um, you know, AORA and AASA, um, mainly the Rob, Rob Chapman and, um, you know, a few of his team were very passionate about it and they made it happen. And I think that's, that's probably one of the, you know, the, the, the biggest achievements, um, in our sport in the last few years as far as future proofing the sport and and um, solidifying the strengths of, of, of where we're at is to bring more of these these juniors in um, mm. and I, I think they've they've um, they've pretty much got it spot on you know in, in right in the first um, first year of what they were doing 
So, you know, the, the, the vehicles are the Polaris XP1000 um, non-turbo, um, the, and I'm old school here, I'm going to call it Class 3, which is Sportsman Buggy, which is up to 1,200, and Class 7, which is production four-wheel drive. So, you know, three good grassroots classes that yeah. you don't need to spend huge amounts of money to go race. And um, I think it's been a huge success. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. I, I think you see more and more competitors, and, and as more and more competitors jump on and more and more families jump in and support it through uh, AASA and, and Aurora and that, that um, that I think we'll have to see, well, hopefully that the, the flood of support can only um, can only force MA's hand and make it that they, they essentially have to bring that uh, junior champions class in. So um, we're going to start to wrap it up a little bit, but we'll just give ourselves a couple of shameless plugs here. So first off to uh, all the people listening along at home or, or watching along at home, um, we want to, one of the things we've said a couple of times is we want to be interactive. So if you've made it this far to the podcast and you've, you've enjoyed having a listen to, to Mick, Dan and I have a little bit of a chat, grab a snap of yourself, tell us where you're listening to the, uh, to the podcast Post it up on your post it up on your story or Instagram. Tag us in our Instagram handle. It's at dirtbags underscore podcast. And um, the most interesting and one that we find, we're actually going to to give away a uh, an, an off road cartel snapback. So thanks to the boys, a couple of good looking roosters at Off Road Cartel that have uh, come on board and sponsored <laughs> sponsored the show as well. So shameless, shameless plug for a couple of our companies there. But yeah, we send us a photo of, um, sorry, send us a story and tag us in it of, of where you're listening to this this podcast. And um, or if you've got any good ideas for the show or you'd like to um, to be involved, we've got an email as well now up and running. It's dirtbagspodcast at gmail.com. So uh, yeah, one of the things we want to do is be able to hear from you guys. We want to be a, a show of the people for the people. We, um, well, we Josh, the other the other thing all the cool kids are doing, don't you have to do that? What is it? Hit the bell, press like, do the subscribe thing. We're new to this YouTube game, mate, but, yeah. you know, if you've seen it before, do all of those ones down – what is it? Over, I, over, I, over there? I hate to break it to you. I don't have anything loaded to be able to bring that up, but maybe in post-production. Oh, right. Post-production, we might be able to do do something, uh, something cool, but – yeah, so we we couple little things there. Make sure you get a bit interactive with uh, with ourselves um, through the the Instagram apps. Hit us up on our personals as well. Josh Curran forty one, Off Road Cartel, and Mickey underscore T two four six. Mickey, Mickey T. So Mick, massive shout out. We thank you for uh, yep. for for finding a bit of time. You're on a you're on a family holiday as well up at uh, mm. up for you down for us Burham Head. So we we really appreciate you jumping on board and it's well honestly I hope you guys have enjoyed it because for us for me and Dan it's been like catching up with a, a good friend and, and just having a little bit of a chat yes. and actually learning a little bit of the the history as well behind the the Taylor family. So mate we we appreciate you you jumping on board and and coming on to the podcast. No worries, guys. I'm, 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 like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm honoured that you, uh, you, you asked me so early in the piece, and uh, mate, it's been a blast. It was just like uh, catching up and uh, and having a couple of drinks with you boys. I like that. Well, sadly, um, I don't know. They're going to have to make shout, something shout, a bit bigger than a six sixty. Good man. <laughs> Did you just say <laughs> shout, shout out to Yeti? <laughs> shout out to Yeti. 
<laughs> we will not bow down to what? any sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> they're not a sponsor. No, they're not. Yeah, but but, yeah. but somehow we're bound down to them. So as we uh, as we wrap it up, uh, we say thank you for listening. Hope you had a uh, a good time. And as we always finish the show up, don't forget that uh, if you're the last one there, you're the first shout. Is that a real thing?